Listener Production. You are listening to episode 196 of the Howie Games, Part B, featuring Michael Klim. Don't forget, you can help your community by providing plasma. Details at lifeblood.com.au and in the show notes, a great thing you're doing if you can help. On we go. You retired again, more Olympics and more medals. Like you've got you've got an incredible record, mate. And then you, then you came back to competitive swimming. And I think yeah. like we'd crossed paths a few times, probably off the back of maybe Athens. But then I can't even remember what show I was working on. I can't. You, you may not remember this. It was down at MSAC. Um, yeah. And it was like, right, um, we'll show people how good Olympic athletes are. Um, by doing a story, might have been Channel 7 mm. actually with the great yeah. Les Taliki, the Cameron. It was right, 50 metres, and you were coming back from shoulder. So you said, oh, I can't go that hard, but I'll <laughs> race against you. Do you remember this? Yeah, I do remember. So, and I, I remember, remember talking to Nicole Livingston, <laughs> and she said to me, I said, well, I'll dive in first. How much of a, how much of a lead before Klimmy dives in? I said, like, shall I give him 10 metres? And she's like, you're kidding yourself. I said, whoa, whoa. Oh, 20 metres. She said, give him 25 metres minimum. And you, but this is when I fully understood because you don't relate, Klimmy. You, you watch what happens in the pool or on the track, but you can't yeah. relate. And I can yeah. clearly remember diving in and you being told you were going to go at the 25 metre mark. And Laz later on told me you went at the 30 metre mark and got me at about the 43-metre mark. So, so You're giving me more credit than, well, than mate, I'm due. But but it, <laughs> was like, it was like a bow wave just flew past me. I don't know where that story is, but it illustrated to me at the time how we know Olympic athletes are freaks, but we probably don't understand how freaky you actually are. Yeah, look, I think swimming is also even more fascinating because it's not really a natural movement for a, for a human being. We're... Um, you know, we're not designed to swim. It's, you know, we generate so much resistance and the, the, uh, the faster we swim, actually the, the resistance increases exponentially. So, um, it's so much harder to drop speed at, at that, at, at that top end. So, um, when now when you, and you're watching swimmers like, you know, Carl Chalmers and Cameron Mm. McAvoy, um, Caleb Dressel, those guys that are swimming, you know, 21 low, 20 point. It's just, you know, I never got to that level. And it's it's just, you know, they keep dropping. And it's just, that's the most fascinating thing that, um, you know, I was always so intrigued about the physics and the biomechanics of the sport. And that's, and being, you know, bit, bit stats obsessed, you know, I sort of enjoyed working on finding ways to to progress the sport and innovative in, in a way. Mm. And that was, uh, um, you know, that was also a bit of a passion of mine. But seeing, you're right, seeing someone swimming at top end speed, which is, let's say, 20.9, which is the world record in a 53, it's, you know, most people can't jog that fast. No. So it's, you know, it's it's kind of going 13K an hour. So most people don't. Don't go, don't run that far. Well, and the other thing that sticks in my mind, Clemmy, is I rolled up in boardies and you said, no, you, you, ca- you can't. And you handed me what they, right. the, the jammers, aren't they? You said, put on a pair of my jammers. And I remember standing on the blocks next to you and Lazar shooting. And I'm thinking, this is not good for me. I'm next to a man mountain who's got muscles on his muscles. Um, yeah, but it was, it was an experience that sticks with me. I really enjoyed seeing the level. Mm. So when you step away the second time, and we, we mentioned business at the start, did, did you find the transition away from training and being an elite athlete 
easy, simple, hard? How, how was the transition out of the pool? And, and you've done, because it's not Klimi swimming, and, you know, there's, there's a lot going back and forth now with the, with the new yeah. series board being brought in. It's not like you can step away from swimming. You've got a swag of gold medals, but you don't have a, a swollen bank account from being a swimmer by any stretch. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, look, I was fortunate in a sense that I had a, I had great management and TLA and I had very supportive sort of family and that and I, you know, we prepared for, for my retirement the first time and also the second, by the second time I'd already started Milk and Co. And I knew that they, I had to either create a brand within myself or create another brand, which I actually luckily managed to do both. And um, to this day, you know, there is, I am able to share my story, my learnings with a lot of people out there, but also have been able to create some brands that, you know, actually resonated and people purchased. But there's, there, the transition is tough because, it, you know, you're f- my identity for even mm. to this day, mate. Like, um, I was staying at a hotel that, that two, two of the staff there, they recognized me from staying at the same hotel. 20 years ago <laughs> and they remember the story and they, and they talk, oh, they, you know, we had a quick chat about swimming and blah, blah, blah. So it's, you know, to, the identity of being a swimmer, I think, will remain with me forever. And it's hard for elite athletes sometimes to develop and fi- developing a new one. It's not that you have to change your identity because that's going to be part of you. But, you know, and it's not necessarily, you're never going to find the same passion maybe for something else. But being comfortable that, those days are over and you, you know, perhaps your priorities change and, um, you know, you end up uh, having kids and, you know, having or other interests even. So, but it's, yeah, it's hard. Some people don't manage that very well. And I did go through my ups and downs and probably the, the hardest time has been the last probably three, four years. But, um, you know, I was definitely fortunate to have Milk and & Co and, you know, being still uh, promoting some other brands, etc. So, um, I, I kept myself busy, that's for sure. Let's talk about the last three or four years. It's a natural bridge. So mm. C-I-D-P, can you pronounce it for me before <laughs> I attempt to? Yeah, no, I'll do it for you. No worries. It's chronic inflammatory demalinating polyneuropathy. Um, it's basically a chronic being that it's in there for forever, but it's um, in uh, basically the the myelin, which is the sh- the sheath of the nerves, they get kind of frail and um, and the messaging doesn't get get sent properly to. But polyneuropathy means the extremities of your of your body, so either your fingers or your toes, and kind of works itself itself up upwards uh, the limbs. So um, for me, touch wood, it's only affected my my legs, but. Yeah, so the you know the sheets of the nerves have got a bit of breaks in them, and um, they kind of come comes off a little bit as well. So that signal that we that we generally send from our brain to you know different parts of our body, for me, it's just not getting getting sent to my feet and to the, my you know my lower limbs very well. So it's uh, you know I started having little symptoms um, which weren't alarming at the time, but I had a you know, started getting some numbness in my quads and getting some, my feet used to get really cold at night and just really basic ones, some tingling in different muscles. And um, we were sort of searching, doing a bunch of um, nerve conduction studies with um, Gary Zimmerman, who was my, oh. my sports physician, Zimmer. A great bulldog um, doctor. And, and, yeah, exactly. And he was, you know, at, at that time we, 
you know, we couldn't really work it out, but it was, um, you know, I, had, I was carrying a bunch of other injuries and a, a really bad ankle from swimming, <laughs> swimming years and a bad back. And we were sort of thinking, oh, maybe the, the back is con contributing to all this. But when things got really bad and I lost the ability to walk within six months, we, you know, we, we knew there was a big underlying issue there. And, um, once we determined it was CIDP, we sort of, you know, the, the actual treatment if was very going to be very similar no matter what it was going to be, but um, was was a peace of mind finding out actually to be honest. So so let's wind it back if you don't mind me asking you a few no detailed <laughs> questions I'll skip about it. A lot of that. yeah, well, well uh, and that's the <laughs> you know the fact that you're sitting here with a smile on your face is where we will end up this discussion. But so you mm. go from a few tingles, like w when it's progressing. Like then you said you couldn't walk in a short time frame. So, so how frightening is a progression of something like this? Man, it's terrifying because you don't know where it's gonna, how you know where it's gonna end. There is probably thirty percent of patients with CRDP that end up in a wheelchair. So, um, but then there is also a good percentage of of patients that end up, you know, getting full recovery. And then there are some that live with it for the rest of their life. So I didn't know at which spectrum I was going to end. Um, and, you know, a lot of people would say to me, oh, you're going to overcome this. You're, you know, you're, you've got this, you've got this, you've got this athlete mentality. You can, you know, and if anything, it actually made it a little bit trickier because, you know, for me, the contrast was so great. I, I managed to stay fairly active and you know, kept on surfing and doing, you know, running and, you know, a bunch of, bunch of different exercises. And I love being, being active and swam right up to the day that, oh, even today. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the fact that, you know, I lost the ability to do so many things, climbing, walking upstairs was almost impossible. And, you know, I, I still to this day, walk with uh, I've got my walking stick here so yep. um so is there you know, is there a, is there a morning when all of a sudden you can't get out of bed and walk like, yeah I, I think I, I got to a stage where there was a combination of being mentally not um not w willing to and you know because it was a pain in, in my back and my and my legs weren't really sort of functioning and I sort of started to you know, give up a little bit because it, it does take a lot of, you, you see, and I, I really appreciate and, and admire people that have come back from, you know, really debilitating neural conditions because I now understand how, um, how it, how endless it is. It's day after day, you do rehab, you do exercises, you do anything to sort of stimulate and get those nerve and those, um, you know, those fibers firing again. So it's, um, once I sort of decided and I put my mind to it, it, it definitely changed for me. But I, up to that point, you know, I was kind of in no man's land because I wasn't getting any better. I wasn't sort of, I wasn't getting that much worse, but I was definitely very much um, compromised in terms of my functionality and mobility. So, What was um, your worst day, Klimi? What, what, looking at the journey, what's been your worst day with it? Oh, um... But I, I I can't can't pinpoint a day, but is actually no I can. Um, I couldn't get through an airport once in in KL. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got got stuck. I couldn't get out of the airport. I couldn't walk. My my legs sort of gave way completely. So that was pretty bad. 
So it's obviously a, a really difficult thing to talk about um, for anybody. So how do you go from a situation in an airport like that and not being mentally in a position to work your way through it to being in a position where you can start to think, right, what am I going to do here? I'm sorry to oh, upset mate, th- you, mate. No, we, you're we right, mate. We can move on if you wish. <laughs> no, you're right. Look, I think it comes down to, you know, I've been very fortunate to have people around me that help me, you know, my family, my my partner, Michelle. Um, I don't think I would be sitting here, like in this frame of mind, even though I'm crying right now, um, that, that um, you know, it's still being positive about what's what's about to come and, you know, obviously being being a dad and all those sort of things. But um, at that point, it was pretty low. People will listen to this that are suffering from all sorts of things, Klimi, that will relate to what you're talking about, hence the discussions we're having. Mm. Um, you talk about the people around you help you get through. Mm. Yeah. What did you call upon within your own mindset to change from this is too much to this is something I need to work my way through, mate? Yeah, I guess I'm, you know, realising that, I can just take it and let, you know, what a fate take its course or, you know, I can actually be proactive and, you know, try and manage what I can manage, um, which, you know, you can, your lifestyle, yep. from nutrition, you can manage, you know, your daily schedule, you can, um, and, and you know, at the time I wasn't doing any of that. So, um, so that's sort of... Because, you know, for so long I was relying on, on, on other people and I was kind of felt sorry for myself and the, the card that I was dealt. And, um, but the moment that I sort of identified that, hang on, it's your, you know, you can still get around. You've, you know, now I've got, I use AFOs, but it's sort of like, an, um, like a brace on, from my knees down. But I can still sort of walk pretty good distances and, um, I've got myself fit enough to do so. I don't, I don't get really bad fatigue and, um, from, you know, self-management and diet and all those sort of things. So, um, and, and just mind, my mindfulness, you know, I sort of, my mental health has really improved. And even though, it, you know, it's, <laughs> I can still, I can still go to the dark place like I did just then, but it's uh, definitely improved to, you know, to, how I can still be hopeful about the future. And I wasn't, you know, a couple of years ago. Is that through um, your mindset? Like do, do you do you meditate? Do you um, live in the moment? Like how do you approach that side of mental strength, for want of a better term, mm. Klimi? Yeah, I think I do meditate uh, probably not – as often as I should, but I, I think, um, there's been a lot of things that have helped me to, to, to get to that place where I'm more happy, where I'm actually doing things that are good for my body has made me feel happy about, you know, the, the future and actually appreciate what I've actually got. You know, I've got, you know, a beautiful partner, a supporting family, amazing set of friends, like the people that, that got behind me, um, from Thorpey to Daniel to Hacky to hmm. 
Simon Cowley, to everyone. I mean, I'm Piney. I mean, I mean, the support that I've had from the swimming community is just amazing. So, um, but yeah, so I think, you know, the, I think once I, I, you know, I was able to appreciate that and be grateful for what I actually still had is, you know, just gave me energy to, to tackle the daily kind of grind, which it's, it still is a bit of a daily grind. I have to be very, you know, calculated with, let's say about everything that I do from how far I walk, where I put the, <laughs> where I park the bike or mm. et cetera, all the little things that generally we take for granted. If I have to, you know, walk up a flight of stairs, et cetera. Or, um, so yeah, there's different things that I have to take, take into account. You know, I, I gave up a bunch of things, including alcohol for, you know, uh, over 18 months ago. And, um, just being, you know, being just sort of self-conscious on, on health and prioritising that as, a, as an importance. After the Artist Series starts rolling again, next Thursday, what about next week's guest? The most famous jockey on the planet, Frankie Dettori, joins the show. How do you like them apples? I won't say much, except I reckon you should listen. The man is a champion. It's very hard to express or describe the feeling you get when you win a big race. And that transmits, obviously, to the owners or the people around you, the trainers, your family members. You get this amazing rush, you know, when when you're in front of, you know, just say Flemington, 100,000 people, you know, being watched on TV by millions. I mean, there is no word can explain the joy that you have when you cross that line, you know, and that's and that's why we are all addicted to it and that's why we are still doing it. Do not forget the Magical Melbourne Cup Carnival. It is from November 4 to 11. General admission tickets from just 60 bucks. Tickets at Ticketmaster. Get yourself there. So, Artist Series next Tuesday and then Frankie Dettori next Thursday. There's some content for you. Let's get back to Klimi. A really personal question. I'm going to ask you, handle it anyway. I'm going to make me you, cry again. No, well, that's not my plan, <laughs> mate. That's not my. That's not my plan. That's never my plan. Um, you, you held up your stick beside you. What is the stick to you? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Look, it's more of a kind of now because I get. I can walk fairly well. It's more just being uneasy on my feet. So um, it gives me stability, and it's it's a, probably a metaphor <laughs> for for just giving me just feeling more stable and, and and grounded. I probably wouldn't walk out in public without it at the moment, just in case. I was so so self conscious about walking out in public for for years about potentially tripping over or you know, swaying too much and, you know, different things. So um, it it sort of gives me a little bit of bit of comfort at the time, at the moment. How do you deal with that self-conscious side of things when tough for anyone but for, well, I'm wandering into areas that I don't really know how to express now, Klimi, um, for a man that made a living through having a bulletproof body, how, how did yeah. you go about stepping out in a public when your body became the opposite of bulletproof? Yeah, that's you know, and that's probably been my my biggest um, hurdle to overcome. You know, not and like on a personal level because 
I think I even live that way, you know, in a sense that for me, I, you know, more of more of everything, you know, I got trained harder than I could mm. possibly, probably my body could handle. I, you know, I'd I'd approach kind of life that way, you know, all or nothing kind of thing. And um, now it's it had to shift because it's there's no way I could sustain that kind of a mental um, approach. So one once I identified that I could still be very have a very livable lifestyle and be very functional and um it, but obviously accept the fact that I may not surf again I may not you know I may not run again but I can still do so many other great things so um yeah so I think for for me overcoming that well, it's not overcoming it's just acceptance and there was a grieving period which um you know I think it and I was in denial, you know. I think it'll, for a long time I didn't kind of want to go there, <laughs> you know. I sort of didn't didn't want to address it. And since since getting proper support and help, and um, I'm very comfortable to say, I, you know, I was even I was talking to counsellors the whole the whole time through that this period. But it wasn't until I accepted that, you know, I had to make a change that, um, you know, the, the, the things happened and. Um, we moved on, but um, yeah, I'm really sort of comfortable now. I've got a great sort of again, you know, a sporting team around me from physios <laughs> and and a trainer, and um, and you know, still talking to my counsellor, and um, I've got a good routine and great sort of support network and family and friends. So um, that gives me a bit of motivation. I'm happy to hear it. When you explained to me what CIDP was, you said it affects people in different ways. Um, and people can end up in a wheelchair situation. They can end up recovering. Do, do you have any indication of where or how this disease could take you? Like, do you have a spot in your mind where, I th where you think, what if, what if I get back to um, limited symptoms or what if my symptoms get worse? Yeah. I yeah. Had, how do you live with that? Yeah, that's, you know, that's the thing. That's, you, you know, there is... Initially was the the unpredictability or, or even the not knowing of what I had. That was probably the first stress. And then the unpredictability of the disease. Um, there's there's no known cure. Obviously, we're very grateful to have treatment that help the symptoms. And I've been man I've managed to definitely halt a lot of the digression. Um, and there is some positive kind of uh, outcomes in some of my nerve conduction studies and um, my functionality is kind of improved over the last sort of 18 months or so. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful and I definitely have, you know, def I think since I've <laughs> approached it in a different way mentally, I've, mm. I felt there's been, has been a change physically as well. So, um, you know, the fact that I've, I've managed to stay very stable for a, a period of time now, I think it gives me more and more, more confidence about the future. Just one final question on what we're talking about before we talk about um, being involved with Australian Rest Red Cross Lifeblood. From your experiences, as I said, Climmy, people will listen to this that are suffering health issues and they'll be like, mm. holy heck, I don't see a way out of this. I, I know you wouldn't be wanting to offer people advice, but what has... What have you learned about having an issue with your health that could benefit other people that are listening to this mm. that are facing issues of any type of health, physical or mental? Yeah. 
Look, I think going through this journey has um, has definitely opened my mind to, you know, I've, I've, I never was exposed to really sort of this, these type of disorders or illnesses um, and and the amount of resources and support required for people to get through um, um, these sort of conditions. And um, I was inundated, I think, the day I sort of came out publicly and yeah. the amount of people that wanted to talk to me with their about their journey about and also some carers and families that wanted to um, get support and find out different, you know, and it's all, a lot of it is very trial and error. Um, there are only limited treatments for us, but, um, everyone's trying something different. Everyone's doing exploratory kind of, uh, um, their own sort of research. <laughs> but, um, one thing that has motivated me from, you know, or in this journey is that, you know, we're, we're going to create the Klim Foundation, which is going to go live pretty soon. It's going to be a di directory of services. We're going to create support for people going through this and um, from from a mental health point of view to um, to resources, financial support, et cetera. Because there is um, one thing that I learned was definitely, for me, I was lucky that even with the best, you know, access to best doctors and mm. Um, you know, an amazing support network. It was still bloody hard. It was, you know, the, um, so I think the easier we can make it for um, anyone potentially, you know, being diagnosed with it or uh, already dealing with it, you know, making that whole path and journey easier for them, that'd be um, my dream come true. So I think it, um, yeah, I mean, for me, even finding the right footwear or finding the right, um, you know, physio and motivate, you know, the right sort of set of exercises, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, just basic things. So there is, you know, we're hoping, hoping to create sort of a, a place for where, you know, patients and sufferers can go to. Because you are such a big hearted and generous man, Clemmy, amongst other things, um, you become involved with the Australian Red Cross Lifeblood. Mm. You become the ambassador. October is International Plasma Awareness Week. Now, there's all sorts of numbers yeah. and stats, but mm. I, what does this mean to you and what's the importance of this? Yeah, look, when I was approached, um, when I first spoke to, to Red Cross and Lifeblood about being ambassador for for this, it's it is, it kind of, I mean, it, I, I was tagging and, and mentioning Lifeblood before anyway because <laughs> my the medication that I receive, IVIG, which is intravenous intermuglobulin, I think I said it right, <laughs> um, it comes from plasma. And um, there is many other medications um, that that derive from plasma that, that, you know, we can treat cancers, infections, you know, trauma, blood loss. Um, and IVIG is one of them. So, you know, I've been, I've relied on, on plasma donations for the last, however long I've, I've had my treatment for, but over three and a half years now. So, um, and it's, it's actually a succumb as, it's actually the first, uh, the most important donation in Australia right now, uh, above probably, uh, plain blood donations because, so many medications are being being made from from plasma itself. So if I go to the Red Cross now, I'm, I don't know what I'm talking about now. But if I go to the Red Cross 
blood bank and I make mm-hmm. a blood donation, uh, yep. is this helping with a situation with plasma or is it a separate setup? It's a separate setup where um, if you donate plasma, actually there's a special machine that separates the plasma okay. um, from from uh, from the rest of the blood, and then the rest of the blood is being it's put back into your system. So, the actual the p- positive thing about that is that you can actually donate more frequently, and you can and you can also donate more. So, um, with this increasing uh, demand, I guess for for plasma and plasma medication derived medications it's it's you know it's really positive but we're you know we're trying to motivate people and inspire people to donate because it is life-changing it's given me hope it's given me i guess um a lifestyle that I, i'm you know really comfortable with and and it gives you know gives people like me an, a new lease in life so um we're we're really trying to encourage you know everyone to to donate, it's there's 80, 80 donation centers around around the country. So um, only one in well one in three people will have to have some kind of a blood transfusion or plasma donation in in their lifetime. But only one in um, one in three hundred only donate. So it's it's a uh, yeah. With, there's a big bit of a discrepancy there. You can see in the show notes, just have a look in the show notes, um, there'll be a link that you can click on and you can find out where you can go and where you can help in a situation like this. Um, Clemmy, we always finish this show the same way um, with our guests that have achieved success in their life. You've achieved success in business, in family, in sport as well. For the youngsters listening that want to achieve success in their field, might be swimming, it might be being a pianist or an electrician Mm. or a plumber or an architect, from your experiences in life, what? would you pass on? Um, my first coach in Australia, Gene Jackson, when I, uh, when I arrived at, at the pool and I started having a little bit of success and he, from, he said to me to make sure that I keep my, uh, feet on the ground. He said, mate, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's good. So a uh, very Aussie kind of like, he just cut me down pretty quickly. <laughs> and, uh, and it's, look, I think it's, yeah, for me, it's been, um, you know, it's something that I tried to live by to, you know, be, be generous, but also be kind and, um, you know, give back as much as I can. But, um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's something that had stuck with me from Gene. I love it, mate. And as an athlete, you're always fantastic to deal with you. There was no airs and graces when you knew you were interviewing Thanks, Michael Clem. It was always fun, <laughs> even when you had to bloody swim against him in the jammers, which was no <laughs> no fun at all. Hey, mate, um, I'm sorry for upsetting you at some stage. No, no, stage, it's but, all good. Um, it's all good. Thanks for sharing your story. Good luck with everything moving forward, mate. Um, you're making it not just about you. You're trying to help others as well, which is the sign of a truly great person. Thanks for joining me on the show, mate. Thanks, Howie. Loved it. Quality individual is Michael Klim, absolutely quality individual. Thanks to Tony Box and the team from TLA, the legends there for making this episode happen. And best of luck to Michael moving forward with his health and with his journey. Do not forget the next instalment of the Howie Games Artist Series dropping next Tuesday with a big name musician, rock star type, and then Frankie Dettori next Thursday. Until then, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. try.